Michael Osterlink here, and I'm talking to Twyla Grace. She is the author of this new book, Big Brother in the Exam Room, The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records. How are you doing, Twyla? I'm doing well, thank you. Good, so uh, before we jump into your new book, tell us a little about yourself and your organization, Citizens Council for Health Freedom. Our organization has been around for almost 25 years. I am the founder, the co-founder, as well as the president. I am a, uh, um, uh, <laughs> a registered nurse by training and worked in the emergency room uh, in my early years, but started this organization about 25 years ago. And our organization, Citizens Council for Health Freedom, is really all focused on the patient and centering everything about the patient, because if we didn't have a patient, we wouldn't need a healthcare system. And so we do spend a fair amount of time on privacy issues because we look at that as a way to protect the patient. If you protect their privacy, you also protect their control over the medical interaction, not letting outsiders in. And so our mission is to provide and protect individual healthcare choices, individualized patient care, and your genetic and privacy rights. Awesome. <clears throat> and we're located in Minnesota, but we are a national organization and deal with a lot of different issues at a national level. Uh, fantastic group, and really important mission, and unfortunately, at least for the last, if not 25 years, at least, least for the last 15 years, our medical privacy has been greatly under threat. That's you know, a lot about what your book is about, Big Brother in the Exam Room. But before we actually jump into electronic health records and, and the threat really they, they offer to us, um, I think it might be of value to talk about HIPAA mm -hmm. as a disclosure rule, not a privacy rule. Because I think most Americans, they get it. They go to the doctor, they go to the clinic, they go to the pharmacy, they go to the hospital. And they go, oh, look, my, my, my records are protected. I signed. Explain to our listening audience or our viewing audience why that's not true and why HIPAA is actually a disclosure rule and is foundational to the threats that you see from electronic health records. That's right. So HIPAA is what we consider one of the biggest uh, deceptions ever foisted on the American public uh, because it's called the privacy rule. The, um, the form that you often sign is either the, the HIPAA privacy form, or it's uh, called the notice of privacy practices that you acknowledge that you've received this notice. And most people just believe what those words say, and they don't actually look at the notice. But if they looked at the notice, what they would realize is that they have no privacy, that HIPAA gives access to all of these entities, your information, without your consent. And that was the purpose of HIPAA. Um, it was also purposeful, I believe, to call it a privacy rule and to call it a notice of privacy practices when it's really a notice of disclosure rules. And it's, re I mean, it's a really a notice of disclosure, uh, data disclosure, and it's really a uh, disclosure or data sharing rule. It's nothing to do with privacy except getting rid of privacy. Can you talk a little about the categories that allows uh, people to, to disclose your healthcare information? Well, there are lots of different categories that are in the rule. I mean, the rule itself is more than 300 pages of three-column, probably nine-point font. I mean, it's really uh, laborious. But there are things that, you know, individual people, you know, would, would recognize. So, for instance, your information can be disclosed without your consent for treatment. And you might like that 
between your Dr. A and your Dr. B, but you might not like it for all sorts of other people who say, well, they're helping with the treatment or they're a business associate of the person who's treating, you know, all that sort of thing. So treatment, payment, healthcare operations. Healthcare operations is a definition of, that's more than 400, that's almost 400 words long, and it's really just a list of activities not related to clinical care, not related to treatment, all these other business things like uh, selling and buying uh, of the business or um, some research or uh, legal issues or administrative issues or analytics of the data, all that sort of thing is in healthcare operations. Um, there's uh, access for public health. There's access for law enforcement, access for um, administrative hearings, research. What were you saying? National security as well. National security, military, um, uh, medical examiners, um, organ, uh, organ donation, which is really interesting, is that if, let's just say your mom is in the hospital and she's dying, well, the hospital can notify the organ procurement organization without your consent. They can come knocking on the door, walk into your mom's uh, room as she's dying, and ask you for her organs. Um, and all of this happening without your consent. And that's, that's one of the things people don't realize. But there's all sorts of reasons that they can have access without your consent unless a stronger state law prohibits it. So Minnesota has a stronger state law. There are some, um, New York has some stronger laws. Florida has some stronger laws. Iowa has a few. Minnesota has the strongest one in the nation. And we have uh, been having to protect it for about the last five years from the business community who wants access to all of our data without our consent. Well, and that's actually a, a, a section of your book. You talk about big data and big business, and we'll, we'll get there because a lot of things are privacy. That's one, the federal government mm -hmm. is, is another. But so foundational, we talked about HIPAA as a disclosure rule, it's not a privacy rule. I think also foundational to the whole electronic medical records discussion is the, na is the national patient identif identifier. Um, and I remember, you know, my hero, Ron, Dr. Ron Paul, back in the day would always knock it out mm -hmm. um, for years, year after year after year after year. But I'm not, where are we at with that number, identifier? Well, it's interesting that you should ask because just a few days ago, the U.S. House voted very late in the night um, to get rid of or eliminate that prohibition on funding for the development of a national patient ID. And so it's been 20 years essentially that Congressman Ron Paul's activities have allowed us to be free of that number. And now the US House, it was um, 205 Democrats and 41 Republicans that voted to get back to funding for the creation of this thing, this unique patient identifier that would link all of our medical records together without our consent. You'd never be able to have a fresh, unbiased second opinion. It would allow your information to be put online, linked together, shared, all of the data. And I look at it as no card, no care. So I think it's not only about um, pulling all your medical records together under one number. And mind you, that's a government number. You have a government. It's not a, like a hospital ID, right? It's a government number. 
all your medical records pulled together so it's a privacy problem but it's also a control problem because I believe that you wouldn't be able to access care without the card so it becomes a tracking number and an access to care number no card no care and I think that probably was Hillary Clinton's idea back in 1993 um, when it was introduced and I remember President Clinton in front of the national television audience raising that card and saying we'd all get a health a national health security card and I thought that that's a very bad idea well and I just want to remind folks who might say well what's so bad about that and obviously you just named a few many, <laughs> few of many reasons why it's a bad idea but for folks who now complain about social security yes and all the data breaches we're having and how it's being used for pay, uh, for stealing identities and for access to your information and financial information and other such things this is is comparable or even worse because as you will probably state in a few minutes our medical records contain very very private information about us and we probably do not want a wide variety of people having access to it without consent so we have hippo disclosure rule now unfortunately with what you just said we have the national patient id that was the prohibition was just removed in the no house. no only in the house so now it has to go to the senate and our hope and your listeners could certainly help with this our hope is that the senate will stop it you know senator Rand paul is now uh in the senate and so I don't know what he thinks, uh, you know, compared to what his father thought when his father stopped it. But we would hope that maybe he might be instrumental in helping to stop it in the Senate. But I feel like it would be great for all of your listeners to contact Mitch McConnell, uh, the Senate Majority Leader, to con and I have it um, on our Facebook page, uh, the, the link to his... Um, he doesn't have a, a number to call, although I'm sure you can find the number, but we have a link to his, the way that you can comment with him. And then we also have a link for President Trump, because President Trump needs to hear this, that this is actually a government ID, a new government ID number for all of your medical records, and that is a very bad idea. So we want to stop it at the Senate, and if all else fails, to get the president to veto it. Well, um, we'll make sure to include all that information offered on our uh, show notes. So people Thank can you. go through and find out and make those calls or emails or such. That, that sucks that we lost the House. Hopefully Rand Paul and some of his more libertarian allies can kill it in the Senate. That would, would be awesome. So we have a disclosure rule. We have the possibility of maybe losing that battle, but hopefully with your effort and others uh, in a transpartisan fashion, we can kill the national patient ID. Um, talk now just about the electronic health records and maybe the mandate i think is in the obama administration if i'm if i remember correctly when the mandate came through and, and about three thirty billion dollars in grants is that is that accurate number well some actually say 36 or 37 billion kind of depends on how you want to count it and it's both for the electronic health records and for the state health information exchanges that are meant to link all of your records together into a national medical record system so just about why that's a problem. <laughs> okay. Um, so the electronic health record is not what people think that it is. 
So a lot of people, they walk into their exam, the doctor's exam room, and they see that computer. And there are people who are definitely bugged by it, right? Because no longer is the doctor or the nurse or whomever looking at them when they talk to them. Now they're looking at the computer. Sometimes they just see the back of the doctor's head and the, there are questions being asked and, and you're being asked to give information that may or may not have anything to do with your visit, but it's all being put into the record. And sometimes they'll go through the medication list with you and those medications are 10 years old and you and they still think it looks like they're current so you, you're finding that there's all this bad information in the electronic health record but my point about writing the book is that there were electronic health records that worked for the patient and the doctor before the obama administration and the democrats in congress mandated that all of us have this electronic health record or the doctors and the hospitals who don't have it will get penalized for every Medicare patient that they see. They'll receive a financial penalty unless they buy and use this electronic health record. Now, a lot of people think, you know, technology is great, but the fact of the matter is the, the electronic health record was never made to take care of patients. It was made for billing. It was made for data collection and data reporting. And then the, uh, the software companies have tried to wrap around patient care around this system that was really all about data collection. And what you see are a lot of frustrated doctors and nurses. What you see are new errors because it's so difficult to even figure out what's happening to the patient because they have to look through so many screens. Their pull-down menus, if they want just one medication, they might have to sort through 250 medications in order to try to find the one that they want because it's, it doesn't work. It's so easy to just write a medication on a prescription. But here, there are errors just because they, they click wrong in the 250. They happen to click the one above it or the one below it. Or they misread it, right? And so there's all sorts of errors happening. And it's not the lovely technology that sits in your pocket that you carry around all the time that works for you. It's really a system that was meant for data collection. And it wasn't meant to follow even the flow of patient care. And so there's all, <laughs> there are nurses and, and doctors who still have a notepad with them or scraps of paper. And they're writing this information on scraps of paper. And then when they're done taking care of you, they try and pull it all together, perhaps after hours into electronic health record because they can't get paid unless they do. So um, now studies show that doctors are spending twice as much time at the computer as they are with the patients because otherwise they can't get paid and all they're doing is they're being these glorified data clerks uh, for the system. And the patient care is, it has become secondary to the entire interaction because, because there's, no, there's not enough time for the patient. It's all about the computer. Yeah, and there wasn't enough time for the patient anyways, so you're just making that even worse with the way we've kind of organized our healthcare systems uh, presently. So, all right, so we have electronic medical records. Uh, we have the patient, national patient identifier, which hopefully we can kill in the Senate. Hopefully you, with supporting Twilight, we can kill that in the Senate. HIPAA, unfortunately, is a lost cause, except for what you just said, certain states. That's right. Are able to protect your medical privacy better than the disclosure at the federal level. You mentioned earlier about big data and big business. So obviously the federal government has an interest in all this information. Talk to me and talk to us about why, why big business has an interest in this information. So this is the other thing about the electronic health record is that um, outsiders want to use it to control what happens in the exam room. 
And because of, and this is Republicans and Democrats, and I make it very clear in the book, and you can find the book at bigbrotherinthexamroom.com. But um, I make it very, very clear that it is a bipartisan effort that has brought us to today. And that's because the government and health plans want to be able to collect the data. They want to decide who are the good doctors and who are the bad doctors, which are really, who are the compliant ones? Who are the ones that are following the treatment protocols that somebody else has put in the computer? And what you don't realize when you're sitting in the exam room with your doctor is your doctor might have a treatment in mind, but they know that it's not in the computer system or they can't find it. And they're not going to tell you about that treatment because it's way too hard to try and override the computer system to get that treatment for you. So they'll just pick one of the treatments that's actually in the, in the electronic health record. And that's why one of the people that I quote in the book talks about the electronic health record as a command and control uh, system because every dollar that's spent in healthcare today is run through the computer and every treatment decision is run through the computer and only what they can check, you know, this treatment or that medication or whatever is available to the patient and outsiders are putting that, those limits in the computer to control the doctor. So, you know, your question about big business, well, big business is the health plans who want to limit what the doctors can order. It's the employers who also want to limit what's available and to, to try and control the cost of coverage for their employees. Uh, and then there's the entire data industry for whom this is just a, a huge boon. Um, and so um, the data industry, for instance, are like the electronic health record systems or the data analytics firms or the population health management systems or all of these who use all of this data. And for them, your data, my data is gold. And it's how they're making their money. I think it was um, United Health Group, maybe, well, I know it was United Health Group, but I think it was maybe several months ago where they came out with their statistics about how much money they're making just in their data division, which is Optum. And I believe it was 8.1 billion, just in their data. And that's where their money's coming from. As a matter of fact, health plans are becoming, uh, are trying to push the rationing of care and the payment of care onto the doctors and the hospitals so that they would give the doctors and the hospitals a certain amount of money, a lump sum payment, and then the doctors and the hospitals will ration the care. And the health plans, the only thing that they'll be doing is distributing dollars and distributing data. And so that they, this is actually where they're moving. They're moving to no longer be insurance companies, to no longer take any risk for your care, but to be the ones that get all the money and all the data and make the money off of that and control the doctors and by divvying out the dollars to the doctors and the hospitals. All of that's coming out of the Affordable Care Act. Um, and it would be complicated to say how, but there is something new that's been created by the Affordable Care Act called an accountable care organization. They want to give these accountable care organizations lump sum payments. They're the hospitals and the, they're a combination of the hospitals and the clinics and then have the rationing of care happen there. Well, you mentioned command and control. This sounds like the worst of command and control uh, in various aspects of, of the medical care or healthcare systems. And unfortunately, with the technology as it is, it's consolidating it all together. And you know, I'm a, I love technology, but not being used against us and our choices in the market for our own health and wellness. So you've laid out the problem really clearly. 
you know, big brother in the, in the, in the exam room, um, what can citizens do to protect themselves? So I knew that individuals would need something to do after they read the book. Yeah. <laughs> and so in the very final section of the book, there is a chapter called, um, uh, what's it called? Steps Back or Action Steps Back. I can't quite remember which one it is. But I know it steps back to patient privacy, safety, and freedom. And there are four categories. There's members of Congress. So there's action steps for members of Congress action steps for state legislators, including uh, enacting their own privacy, real privacy laws. Uh, there's action steps for practitioners, and there's another column of action steps for patients. I think there's 41 or 42 action steps for patients, and you don't have to do them all. What I wanted to do is give a list so that people could go through the list and say, oh, I can do that, or I can do that, and I can do that. And so for one of them, you know, it's not signing the HIPAA form. And there's a whole section all about how HIPAA doesn't protect your privacy. We'll make it all very clear for you how this isn't what you think it is. Um, and so that's an easy thing to do. Although I say that, but in full, fully well knowing that some people have been denied access to care when they refuse to sign the form. Um, and that is something that we are working with the federal government on. We've made them aware of this situation and they put out a, um, a request for information on this very thing, asking what happens when patients refuse, asking doctors and hospitals to say, what happens? What do you do when patients refuse? So we know that they're aware of it, we know they're working on it, and we hope that we will solve that problem. But in the meantime, refuse to sign the form, uh, use our information in the book, use our information online to show them why you don't have to sign that form. So that's just one of the steps. Um, another step I should say uh, is, you know, don't answer all those questionnaires, just refuse to answer those questionnaires, answer whatever you want to and just ignore all the rest of the questions, tell them you're not going to do it. Um, another thing is to tell your state legislators that you want a real privacy law that you know that HIPAA doesn't protect your privacy and you want a real privacy law and that they should pass it. And then another thing that I will mention is, you know, what I just said about how the electronic health record is used to control treatment decisions. And we, we often say, he who holds the data makes the rules. Well, given that the patient is in a vulnerable state, whenever they're a patient, you are vulnerable. One of the things that you should do when you're in the doctor's office is ask this question. Is the treatment that you just offered me what you think is best for me or the only thing that's available to me in the computer. Wow. Okay. And that will bring them up short. If that's not true, it'll cause them to lie. If, if, if it is true, but they don't want to tell you. Right. But at least ask the question and they, they know, they know this problem of practice protocols and how they're only supposed to follow these certain practice protocols. So ask them that for your own protection and for their own ethical conscience. Good, good, I love that. And uh, the other 39 as well. Let me <laughs> encourage folks to uh, check out your book, Big Brother in the Exam Room, The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records. Where can people find your book as well as learn more about the Citizens Council for Health Freedom? So our organization's uh, website is cchfreedom.org. We also tweet, and I tweet at my name, Twyla Braze. Um, we have Facebook for me, and we have a Facebook for the organization. Um, and in addition to that, the book can be found at Big Brother 
intheexamroom.com, bigbrotherintheexamroom.com. And for those who are just kind of wondering about it, it has gotten four awards, I'm happy to say. Nice. So uh, two finalists and two winners. So <laughs> well, I'll say it's a must read for every American because they really need to Thank understand you. what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, ignorance is going to lead us down to the worst of command and control. You know, I always kind of wonder who won the Cold War because we seem to be importing the worst of the Soviet Union uh, command and control uh, methodologies and, and systems. Um, thank you for your work, Twyla. God bless you. Thank you so much. Uh, good luck killing it, uh, at least the national patient ID in the Senate. Right. Uh, let me encourage everyone to go to your website and support that effort. And then also, you know, work with your state legislators to pass legislation that actually creates privacy for your medical records, as opposed to HIPAA, which is a disclosure rule. Um, thank you, Twyla. Thank, thank you. you. Okay.